Hi, this is Brett Ryan for Focus on the Family Australia, and I am going to be interviewed by Peter and Nathan for Youth and Loud. Look forward to hearing from you, or you for hearing me, in the next few moments. You're listening to Youth and Loud, the show that's the show that's quiet about the trivial things, but loud about the important things. We discuss all issues relevant to youth. If you'd like to find out more about the show or have a topic idea, check us out on Facebook and give us a shout by searching Youth and Loud. Alright, so welcome to Youth and Loud. Today we are joined with Brett Ryan, the CEO of Focus on the Family, uh, to discuss life as a teenager, uh, the best part about being a teenager, some of the challenges we can face, and what a healthy relationship looks like between uh, young people and their parents. Uh, so Brett, welcome to Youth and Loud. It's super cool to have you on the show. Um, just to kick us off, uh, how are you going? Oh, really well. And beautiful. Cool, cool. And um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your work involves with Focus on the Family? All right. Well, how long is your program? Um, <laughs> only joking. Only joking. Well, I've been married for 28 years. I've got three young men, a 20-year-old, a 22-year-old, and a 24-year-old. My eldest just recently got married. So one of them, one of them has just flown the nest. Yep. And uh, we love doing life together. And one of the things that I've um, been had the privilege of is having three vocations that I've loved. I started as a critical care nurse. I majored in intensive care and accident emergency. So I had the privilege of looking after people at their most vulnerable. Right. And uh, and then I went from there and became the children's pastor at City Life Church, a, a, a significant church in the eastern suburbs. Mm. And I was there for the next 13 years. And it was a great opportunity to partner with parents to bring up a spiritual foundation with their kids. Mm. And then I took on the role at Focus on the Family about five years ago. And Focus on the Family is all about strengthening families and strengthening relationships. And we do that in a variety of ways, obviously through the radio. And uh, I've got a face for radio, as they say, so that actually works out well. And then uh, we do seminars and and training opportunities, and we do a lot of things online and uh, digital format, either on YouTube, we created a YouTube channel, uh, our social media, and our website. And all of those things come come together to help as many people as possible going through the big issues such as um, sexual problems, technology, uh, drugs and alcohol, mental health, suicide, but even just general life issues, parenting issues, marriage issues, any way we can help people and either that through the radio, TV, YouTube, website, and obviously doing seminars or or sort of uh, opportunities and interviews like this. Beautiful. So I guess Focus on the Family really aims to be a positive influence and to be a blessing into a range of people's lives, covering a range of, I guess, different uh, spheres, as you mentioned, uh, whether it's uh, issues with uh, sexuality or drug addiction or mental health. Um, It just seems to overlap a a bunch of stuff, I guess. Well, I'm actually doing a tour at the moment called uh, Families in a Modern Day World. And anything to do with families, where do you start and where do you stop? Do you talk at blended families? Do you talk about nuclear families? Do you talk Mm. about um, single parent families? And then all the issues that people go through 
in their families or in their relationships, and that includes drugs, alcohol, and 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 technology, and conflict, and mental health. All those type of things combinate together. So you have to be. I'm a bit of a generalist, yeah. a, a little expert in lots of things. So Brett, before talking about some of the things which are important to teenagers and youth at large, what's one of your best memories um, from being a teenager? Wow, it, it was some time ago now, but I I remember just doing things with my dad. Uh, we used to go on camps, and I used to love doing those type of things And uh, with my brother, or my older brother, and uh, we had some great memories doing things together on the camp. But probably my my greatest impression was actually when I was 17 years of age. I was actually volunteered to become a, a leader at a camp for children with diabetes through the Royal Children's Hospital, and it was actually that at that camp. I decided to become a nurse because I was really impressed with the medical and the nursing staff looking after the children at this camp. And I was the youngest volunteer they'd ever had on this camp. And so at the age of 17, that set me on a trajectory of helping people. And I've been in the people business for the rest of my life. Um, What would you say is uh, the greatest part about being a teenager? And why would you say these years, I guess, are so uh, precious? Well, we're only young for a short period of time. And then you have to get and you grow up. And then you have more responsibilities. So when you're a teenager, you don't have as many responsibilities. Not everyone, but majority don't have as many responsibilities. And I would say it's a great opportunity to explore, to find out your gifts, your talents, and to be able to use it for others. It can be um, one of the most exciting times, but also, as you've already identified, many of the challenging times, physiologically, psychologically, relationally. There's so many things that they can't be in control of, especially going through adolescence. But there's some things you can be in control of, your choices, your attitude, and the way you go about your life. Mm. And it's also a time to not not when I say risk take, it's to take some risks to do things out of your comfort zone because Mm. later on in life you don't get those opportunities because you're either limited because of, um, you know, commitments, financial commitments and other responsibilities. But during those formative years, it's a great opportunity just to go and do things and be adventurous and, Mm. and enjoy life to its full. And I mean, I still enjoy my life to its full and I'm turned 50 this year. And so it's a, it's an amazing opportunity that when you're going through adolescence to, to give it your very best, like I do now, but even during those adolescence, it's a time to explore and trying to be adventurous and to find out who you really are. So would you say that, I guess, uh, one part from what you're saying, Brett, in terms of going through teenage years is a little bit of trial and error. So you try things and see if uh, you're good at it, see if you like it, see if it's uh, perhaps a a career path you want to head down. And then if it's not, that's okay. You can just try something else as a lot of, I guess, experimentation happening. I think there is. And I mean, I like the idea of failing. I actually like the idea of failing Mm -hmm. because you learn from failure. Uh, I like to call it failing forward. So when you make a mistake and you make an error, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to actually develop some gifts, some talents of perseverance, uh, be persistent and consistent, and knowing that you don't have to be the very best, but you can do your very best. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be better than you, but there's an opportunity to learn, as you said, and learn from those mistakes. And you can experiment and try things. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not for your destiny. And I know a lot of millennials and and younger millennials, the Gen Zs of this world as well, find that if it's not their life destiny, if it's not, you know, God ordained, sometimes I think, well, it should be easy. It should be just natural. But obviously, not everything becomes natural. Sometimes you have to go through the hoops and hurdles and obstacles to actually see that, hey, 
I really like this. This is a passion of mine. I'm not the best at it, but I really love it. Mm-hmm. And then they can persist with those type of things. And sometimes in life, not everything is smooth sailing. doesn't mean if there's an obstacle in the way, doesn't mean it's not your life's call or your where you're to go. I think sometimes we need to persist and go through those things. Brett, I wonder if we can talk about, I guess, some of those things that happen during adolescent years or can happen to some teenagers, which I guess uh, can be uh, traumatic or can be painful. Um, how can a young person, I guess, overcome and get through that difficult patch? Well, what are some mm. of the things which can help them in their life to, to get through that? that yeah, difficult- gr- great question. I mean, life is always going to have obstacles and challenges. We're always going to go through difficult times and it's inevitable. Even conflict is inevitable. Mm. And it's our job as an individual to be able to rise above those things, to dust ourselves off. And as they say, a Taylor Swift, to shake it off and get our, get, get on with life. But how do we do that? How do we go about that when really a lot of young people don't have what I call resilience as much as they used to be, which means the ability to bounce back. And how do we develop those, those skills? I think you need to find some people who are safe. Ideally, I'd love to have parents be that, that safe person, the person that they can talk to about anything and everything. And if parents were listening, I'd be saying, be the type of person that your kids will want to come and speak to and talk to mm. and, uh, and converse and, and to dialogue and making the key to the word dialogue. Um, it's really important. So you need to find some people that will really listen to you and going through those type of, um, life storms. But it, and it may not be a mum and dad, but there should be some other safe adults that you can find. It might be a teacher, it might be a coach, it might be a youth leader, it might be a pastor, it may be your grandparents, it may be someone that you can go to at any time. And they're really important to have some safe people to, to speak to. Second thing you need to know is that, I mean, God is a person that you can talk to. He, he, he knows what we're going through. He's experienced those type of things. And sometimes you, you feel like you're alone, but you're never alone because God is always there with you. And having that faith, that aspect is can certainly help you navigate some of the difficulty going through in, in the storms of life. And it's something to hold on to and anchor, if you like, when the storms come. Um, other practical skills is knowing that, you know, these things will pass. You know, the, the, the situation, the crises, whatever it is, it will lessen. It might leave a scar, but I mean, I've had operations and I know that, you know, I've left a scar, but over time that scar will diminish. It will, it won't be as prominent. And knowing that even though this might be a crisis right now, it's not going to shape or, or, or hold you back for the rest of your life. You can get through things. And I think of knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel, it may be sometimes far away, mm. but knowing that it's not going to actually hold you back, even though you're going through some difficult times, knowing that God's there, find some safe people, and knowing that it will get better. It will be different. It might be a new normal, but it will get better. Hi, this is Brett Ryan from Focus on the Family Australia. You're listening to Youth and Loud. Um, can I just ask, in terms of uh, connecting with safe people and getting others to support you during difficult times, how can we as young people identify who is a safe person as opposed to someone who's not a safe person? Yeah, well, that's, that's, you want someone who's not going to just be a yes person. That's, you know, like who just accept whatever you say and, mm. and agree with everything you want because that's not necessarily someone, um, that's going to actually challenge you or convict you to go in a different direction. But you want someone that you can feel comfortable with and that they can listen to you and that you're prepared to be vulnerable 
and that you can trust them. And there's someone that's not going to say what you said and then pass it around. Mm. Now, obviously, some people have said things in the past and they've said, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone. And then they find out later on that they've told lots of people. But I think adults in general should should be able to take the 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 trust that you've given them, a young person will give them, and really take hold of it and, and see it as a real privilege. I mean, I've mentored a number of young people in my time, and I count it a real privilege that people can come and spoken to me, shared some of their heartfelt challenges they're going through, and I felt like that I've been able to give them some helpful advice along the way mm-hmm. and uh, challenge them, especially when they're going in, a, in making some poor decisions mm-hmm. and some poor choices. And um, but I think, and as I said, ideally it should be mum and dad, but not all mum and dads are in that way inclined. But you know, I found with my three sons, my sons can come and tell me about anything and everything, and I'll be prepared mm. to be able to have a chat with them about that. So we know that one thing, which obviously you know inevitably happens during our teenage years, I know I certainly went through this, is um, tension and conflict in our relationships with both peers, girlfriends, and even our parents. Um, when we do experience conflict in our relationships, no matter who it's with, um, what can we do to, I suppose, resolve that conflict and how do we learn to get through that? Yeah, I mentioned before that whenever there's two or more people, it's, it's conflict is inevitable. It's how we resolve the conflict in a healthy way is what we need to, to know. That having conflict doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're going to hate each other or that, you know, it's a disaster. Uh, many people who have been brought up and never saw mum and dad fight think that when they have their first argument with their boyfriend and girlfriend, they think, oh, no, it mustn't be the right person. But they didn't don't know that when mum and dad had their arguments, they probably kept yeah. them pretty private. So I think one of the things that I've found in, in my experience in healthy conflict resolution is uh, that number one is see it from another person's perspective. If I had a piece of card here and one side had a pink card and the other side had a blue card and if I put them in between you and Nathan and uh, you and uh, or you and Peter whichever which I you say one side and you see the other side you'd be going that's blue the other one said it's pink and you go oh no it's pink and you say it's blue and then you can have a rip-roaring argument yeah. you're both right mm. and you're also both wrong because you haven't seen it for the other person's perspective mm, so that's yeah. the first thing another thing you have to know is that you have to go through um, the the opportunity to say, hey, I might be at fault here. Mm. Be the first person to say, I'm sorry. Even if you're at 5% at fault and the other person's at 95% at fault, mm. own the bit that you can own. Mm. And that 5% yeah. is really, really important. You know, I shouldn't have responded. I, I'm, I'm really sorry the way that I acted. I, I, I spoke out of turn. Would you please forgive me? Mm. And you don't put a little bit of a, a caveat that says, but you made me do this, mm. then it's everything is is gone. You know, like yeah. that, that but you made me that's never... So don't do those type of things. Mm. So see it from another person's point of view. Be the first person to say you're sorry. And knowing that conflict is going to take place, but how you resolve it is really, really important. Yeah. And I think learning the power of listen, mm. listening is a really important skill that we all need to do. It says in James, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So learning to listen attentively, looking someone in the eye, not have to always look into their soul type of thing, but looking them in the eye and really actively listening. What are you saying and what am I hearing? Sometimes there's two different things. Listening and hearing are two different things. 
when I'm listening, I'm actually engaged with what you're trying to say to me mm-hmm. and I'm trying to empathize. But that verse also, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry, we have to also watch how we respond or how we react. Mm-hmm. And anger actually is, you know, puts you out of, if you're angry all the time with your words, angry with your actions, angry even with your mind, it actually uh, diminishes your your identity because no one likes to be yelled at. No one likes to have someone screaming at them. You just don't listen to anyone. So even when mums and dads and uh, and kids have their conflict, learning to listen is a really important aspect. But learning to respond, not react, is another great key. Hmm. So I think you've mentioned um, a, a really good points there, Brett. Uh, one thing is listening to what the other person is saying when you do have that conflict or difficult uh, moments in relationship. Um, the other one is, I guess, having that sense of empathy and placing yourself in the other person's shoes, um, but also owning up to, to, to your side of the story. So you mentioned even if you know one person's done 90% of the, of the fault and you've done 10%, still apologize, mm. still make amends and don't add in that, that butt pit. Mm. Um, and when you said that, I thought sometimes it's really easy to add in that, but you do this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's such a good point to resist that urge and just concentrate. Um, you have to look in the mirror. When you, the person in the mirror is the only one you can control. You can't control everyone else. You can control the person in the mirror. Good point, And if yeah. you can do that, because as I said before, anger diminishes your credibility and no one likes to have someone yelling at them. Mm. And so when mums and dads, and mums and dads are going to make mistakes. And I think another key uh, what you said, Nathan, before about the question of how we can resolve our uh, conflict with mums and dads, particularly, is that parenting is a tough gig. I don't think people really know how much effort is required to become a parent. And so they're human, which means they're going to make mistakes. No one is perfect. We live in an imperfect being. Mm-hmm. And unless you can look in the mirror and say, I'm perfect, you don't expect your mum and dad to be perfect either. Is is part of uh, doing the best that people can do, I guess, to, to be parents to their children, uh, recognising they've stepped the line and perhaps hurt their son or daughter and apologising to their children? Very much so. It, it's a culture of knowing that when right. you make a mistake, you need to own it. Mm. And whether that's in the workplace, whether it's in school or whether it's at the home, we need to know that we can own our mistakes. And as mums and dads, if they're listening, it's great to role model when we make mistakes and be the first to apologize because then it's role modeling to our kids that, hey, mum and dad can make a mistake, means adults can make a mistake, and which means that when I grow older, I'm going to take responsibilities because otherwise if you don't you know take the responsibility when you get older and you've never had it role modeled you're going to blame the teacher for you know your failure you're going to blame your boss for not giving you the promotion you're not going to be you blame everyone else Mm. rather than the person you look for in the mirror so how important is the relationship between obviously a young person and their parents during those years and how can we as young people honor our parents even when we disagree with them? Yeah, well I think the power of that listening is a very very important thing. I mean if I I've done some parenting seminars and I often ask the kids, I'm going to be speaking to your parents tonight. How can they be a better parent to you? And they said to learn to listen to me and to get off their phones. And then I speak to a group of students. and uh, so the, the young people saying that to the parents? The, that, that's what they say to the parents. And right. if I'm speaking to a group of parents and I'll say, well, what can I do to say to your kids how 
they could um, be better and they'll say to get off their phones and to learn to listen to me. So there are two keys. Let's, you know, we're the most technologically connected we've ever been, but the most relationally disconnected we've ever been. Mm. And so learning to, to turn things off for a time, learning to actively listen is a really important thing to form a healthy relationship. Because if you want to have someone listen to you, you have to give the courtesy or to reciprocate to be able to listen to them. And so that's a it's a it's a it's a balance between um, you know wanting to be heard, but also learning to listen. Now, obviously, other things you could do is learning to respect the rules and the boundaries. Now, sometimes it might be a give and take, and might need some compromise. But learning to if these are the rules in the household, I have to abide by them. And if I break the rules or break those responsibilities or the boundaries or the or the curfews, that I have to face the consequences. No, try and get out of it and say, look, yeah, I was late. I said I was going to be home by ten, and I got home by eleven o'clock, and I didn't give you a call. I'm really sorry. Face the repercussions of that and learning to take responsibility also means that you're adulting, you're you're growing up, you're maturing. Another thing is, as I've already said, is to learn to identify that mums and dads, they are human. They've got feelings. If you haven't earned the right of responsibility and taking the responsibility and and, and maturing, then it's hard for mums and dads to let go because you haven't earned that right. Yeah. And I think it's really important as, as young people learning that mums and dads, um, despite their you know, faults and mistakes, they really mo- majority have a vested interest in your health and well-being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they will make mistakes, but get, have a bit of a compromise. And the final thing I need to share with people, the young people particularly, is to take responsibility of the way they contribute around the household their bedroom, um, their their bathroom, uh, washing their clothes, all those type of things. Now, you might think, well, mum and dad will do it. That's the way they do it. They've always done it and they've always complained that I, I don't do things around the household. It might mean that you haven't done things around the household and you need to take responsibility because it's those little things means you earn the right for bigger things later on in life. So earlier you spoke about um, boundaries. Can you tell me how important are boundaries when we go through our adolescent years and what does it look like for a parent to have the right balance between too many boundaries and not enough boundaries? Yeah, well, I mean, there's been a lot of research that says that children who grow up with boundaries, clear boundaries, defined boundaries, actually thrive because they know where the rules are. I use the analogy, if you're playing a football game or a netball game or a tennis game, whatever sporting activities, you know, you have a boundary line. And if you step outside, there'll be consequences. The game will end and you have to, you'll either uh, turn the ball over or something like that. And you know where the rules are. You know what's yep. going to happen. If you stay within the, the boundaries, life can go really, really well with you. Or conversely, another one, if you, cause you don't like sport there, Nathan, it might be, yep. could you imagine if we were riding on the, driving on the road and we decided, you know, I don't want to drive on the, on, on the left hand side anymore. I want to just drive on, I just want to do whatever yep. I want to do. It would be chaotic. Yep. It would be, you know, chaos around the place. It could cause accidents. So that's the reason why we have rules and boundaries. Now, that balance you said before about too many boundaries, it can become very restrictive and very um, confining. But then ones that are, have got no, you know, no boundaries, it's a fine balance between the two. And as parents go through, um, you know, as the children mature, that boundary does move a little bit as they've earned that right and it's released a little bit as they get older. But if you break that, those boundaries or break that trust, 
you lose that trust again and you have to earn that right again. So when it comes down to earning that, that right and, and showing maturity as as someone, you know, who might be 18, 19, 20 living at home, is it about also showing the maturity and showing that you can handle the responsibility as well? Very much so. To get so. the boundaries released? Very much so. There's a new coin phrase called kippers, kids in parents' pockets eroding retirement savings, which means they're staying around because they've got free bread and board and their mums and dads make their, you know, do all the things around for them. So there's no incentive for them to adult or adulting, so to speak. They don't mm. grow up, which means I think that's taking advantage of their... Um, their gift to you of having a roof over your head and, and food in your stomach and clothes on your back. I think it's really important for young people to e, e, uh, a, sorry, have to have a job so they're earning some money. They don't necessarily have to pay rent, but they can contribute if it was there to buy a meal or prepare a meal. Those type of things, taking responsibility because the world doesn't really owe you anything. You have to, you're not entitled to all these type of things. And if we can do that, then you'll find that there's an, a, a, your parents will start treating you more adult-like, even in the way they treat you, the way that they speak to you, and the way that they include you in decisions. I would find that my boys, um, I enjoy their company and they enjoy my company. I actually find that we, we're very similar in our, in our actions and, and our thoughts and even our, in our sentences. We would have those really deep and meaningful conversations and also that fun conversations. But that hasn't come just, um, in, uh, just naturally. It has been very intentional of building a healthy relationship with my boys. But that's been with clear boundaries and balance between fun and firmness. Yeah. Hi, this is Brett Ryan from Focus on the Family Australia. You're listening to Youth and Loud. Um, so you mentioned that uh, one thing that young people need growing up, going through the teenage years, is to have that sense of, of boundaries, and they need that. Um, what else does a young person need during that period of their life from, from their parents? What do, what do they need during that time? Well, they need to be a, a safe place. The house should be a haven. When, If you could imagine... In a, in a world that when you're at school or even interacting with others, you're trying to blend in rather than trying to stand out. And there's a lot of energy that goes into that. And when they're at home, they can just be themselves. But unfortunately, sometimes <laughs> mums and dads can be their, their, the whipping people. They, you know, you can yell at them because they're safe. You can, you know, treat them poorly because they're safe. They'll love you unconditionally. Mm. So that's nothing. I don't, I don't recommend that you take advantage of that. I think it's one of the things for mums and dads, if they're listening, would be to say, this home is a haven. You, you're here. You're safe. I want to affirm you. I, I love you unconditionally. And I'm going to be able to treat you with the amount of respect that I get back in return. So it's a give and take aspect. Mm. I think it's really important that uh, mums and dads also need a role model, mm. healthy lifestyle, healthy choices, and particularly for those who have got a faith to role model their love for God and their love mm. for um, his church. Quite often, many parents have abdicated their responsibilities and they've sent their kids to youth groups or sent their kids to a Christian school mm. and say, you sort it out. But yet pr- kids are watching and observing, and they can smell a hypocrite a mile away. Mm. And so we need to live a life of... Parents need to live a a, a godly example in everything that we say, everything that we do, and everything we think, because our kids are watching and observing. Mm. And I think that's a really, really important thing. 
if there's a friend or someone at school who is going through a difficult time, how can their friends support them or, I guess, assist them mm. if they um, perhaps they might not have a, a family setting like other people do? What are some things they can do to walk alongside that person? Yeah, it's, that's a really good question, and, and there's no simple way of doing it. I, I remember talking to my boys that their normal has been our household. They've known the type of way that we do life. They they expect that they have regular family meal times. They they know that they've got responsibilities in their household. They're, that's their normal. But then when they go and visit their friend's house, they've discovered their friends never had a family meal time, never had any responsibilities, um, and they and they and it can be quite confusing for them. They also know that they've they've had an, a, a parent. Both my wife and I have always been there for them to encourage them, to build them up, to visit them when they were playing sport or doing music. We've we've really been there in, intentionally and involved in their world, and that's their normal. But they've discovered that their friends haven't had that opportunity, and and so it makes them sad. But we've encouraged them to, um, you know, invite them over to our house, and mm. so we've got to meet a number of their friends, and and they they're quite fascinated about you know having a family meal time and mm. or playing card games like Monopoly or you know or some other game. You know that's that's normal for us. Mm. Those things, and they've never taken it for granted. But it's always good to remind them that this is. This is unusual. And then when they leave their home, this is what they're going to take on to their new tribe with mm. their, their new relationships. And so it's it's not an easy answer. But for young people who, who have got a healthy environment, don't take that for granted. Appreciate mm. it. Show value to it. But also maybe invite your friends over so they can experience the same thing, mm. you know, a different way of doing life. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, say for, for today, Britt? Well, I think it's really important. I have a saying here at Focus, to be informed, be intentional, and be involved. Being intentional means that decisions I make in the early years will help farm, form healthier relationships or help form the character of a, a young adult. And I actually say to parents, what type of young adult are you forming? Are they going to be self-centered? Are they going to be selfish? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to be selfless and be able to be com- kind and compassionate? So you're actually being very intentional with what and how they're going to become. Mm. Being involved and understanding you need to be a student of your kids and, and be involved in their world. My boys like doof doof music, for example. <laughs> I don't like doof doof music, but I'll listen to it because that's what they're into. <laughs> it. And uh, But they're involved in sport or music. I want to be involved in their world because mm. that earns the right to speak into their lives. Yeah. And the other thing is just to uh, being informed. I glean information from other people. I want to learn from others. I can listen to podcasts. I can read articles. And that's the reason why Focus on the Family is all about is we want to have people come and get information from our website and and information that will help them navigate some of the, the complexities of life and be prepared before it gets out of hand. Mm. And I think the final thing I'd like to say is that it's never too early to talk to your kids at an age-appropriate level about the real issues before society does, mm. which means parents, we might have to get out of our comfort zones because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when our kids are going to be exposed to pornography, for example, mm. or exposed to cyberbullying or, or the technology um, uh, trap that they can get addicted to technology at a very early age. Mm. Technology is a privilege, not a right, which means that we have to control the technology at an earlier age because otherwise it's the first, first form of addiction that is available to young people to become mm. addicted to technology. And many parents are oblivious to it because they, they use technology as a form of babysitting. And, you know, 
you're out of my hair, you're, you're having fun and, and the kids are absorbing it and they're happy to play on their technology or cyber um, world, whatever it may be, but you're losing that opportunity to form a healthy relationship with dialogue and interaction with one another. Mm. And I think it's really important for mums and dads to be in control and seize control of technology and knowing that um, it's tough, but we need to role model it ourselves. Yeah. It's really, really important because mums and dads, it's no point them saying, get off your phone while at the same time they're on their own phone. And so we need to role model our own technology hygiene as well. Before we finish, do you think, just personally, because I heard it said even probably about 10, 12 years ago that we've actually lost the art of, you know, traditional round-the-dinner-table conversation. Do you think that's actually true? Do you think we've lost that whole traditional face-to-face? Yeah, very much so. It's a great question. I mean, in fact, a lot of research has gone into saying that um, the the most healthiest thing you can give to your kids, because it will prevent some of the ills of our society, is having regular family meal times, mm-hmm. technology-free, which means there's engaged conversation, everyone gets a chance to have a voice and listen to one another, and all the research points to your kids will do better academically, socially, psychologically, less likely to be involved in risky behaviour, less likely to be involved in drugs and premarital sex and promiscuity, and they'll be have a better self-image, better self-body image, and they'll eat healthier, and you'll get to know them, and they'll get to know you. And if we did that, it actually will help our society um, endlessly. But you were saying, is it true or not true? I go and speak to youth a number of times and uh, in youth groups or young adult groups or in schools, and I often ask them, how many of you have regular family meal times? And I reckon the best I've ever had is about 40%. And that's in places. So it's, it is decreasing all the time. And I've met a numerous number of young people who have never had a regular family meal time technology free around the table. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I think is something that be, if you were going to do one thing today, um, ask your mums and dads to actually say, can we have some family meal time? Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you it will be very well received. Mm-hmm. You made um you made a really good point uh, before as well, uh, Brayton, talking about how um I guess part of uh, cultivating good role modelling to youth and to adolescents is to teach them about helping others and not just looking to your own needs but also the needs of others. Do you think we live in a society in Australia where very much it's set up in a very individualistic way, so everything's designed so that you can kind of in a sense, get by as an individual in terms of having a job or um, living somewhere and you've got to kind of fight against the, the stream and fight against the crowd to actually contribute towards others. Mm. Would you say that's part of the, the culture well, of society in a sense? Well, I think the big aspect of the culture of society is very narcissistic. It's very me-orientated. I'm very mm. entitled. I can do whatever I want because mm. it makes me feel better and it makes me happy and those type of things. So we actually have been programmed, if you like, mm. to think all about me. But, you know, when Jesus came down, he didn't come to be served. He mm. came to serve. Great role modeling, great example mm. that he actually gave of himself, very selfless. He was thinking of others more than himself. Mm. And if we can take a little bit of a leaf out of his book and start thinking that way, because a lot of joy comes from serving others mm. and that experience of doing things for other people and to see their faces and to encourage them and to build them up and to do things out of your own comfort zone and to be mm. sacrificial actually gives you a sense of joy. It gives you a sense of contentment. It gives you a 
sense of appreciating what you have. A lot of people who are going through, say, for example, depression, mental health issues, Mm. a lot of them have been encouraged to actually go and help and volunteer elsewhere because it's very hard to feel self um, you know, or go into the dumps and, and woe is me type of thing when you mm. see and help others who are less fortunate than themselves mm. and stop being me orientated and be others orientated can really help you navigate some of the uh, challenges of being, um, uh, it's, it's really counterproductive or countercultural to actually serve others. Mm. And I've met you know, numerous number of young people who have volunteered and do things for others and they just have so much joy about mm. them. And I think, some people, so many people are missing out on that mm. by just doing things what I want to do rather than thinking of others. Like volunteering and um, working, at, uh, doing a working bee. Uh, my sons, have, um, they're in a small group and they've actually started doing working bees at, at um, women's homes who are widows mm. and they can't do all the gardening. And they just get such a buzz out of helping them. The woman benefits from the practical yeah, help, yeah. but yeah. they actually see a new, a new way of doing things. I think mm. it's very exciting for them to do that. Awesome. Um, if there's any young people listening and they would like to do more to help others or like to do more to volunteer, what are some simple steps they can take to move in that direction? Or what are some small things they can do to, I guess, start living in that kind of way more? Well, uh, the first place is to start at home. Are you volunteering at home? You know, I, I, I listened to a podcast one time and it said the best thing you can do is make your bed. Because you're starting to look after your own little backyard, you know, look after your room, look after your bed, look after your bathroom, Mm. look out in your kitchen, the family room, you know, or your own garden. If you start doing that intuitively, then it's a natural um, progression to start thinking of others. Mm. Uh, And it's all very well for you to even solve everyone else's problems around, you know, around the corner or in other people's world. If you can't look after your own world, Mm. where... It's a contradiction. So then you might be able to go to a a local um, center. It might be a church group or it might be, you know, anywhere that needs volunteers. It might be the op shop, for example, or something like that. Places where they can train you how to be a volunteer and and knowing that it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult and, and, and it's uncomfortable. But I tell you what, it's a really great joy. I, I encourage my boys to coach their, you know, basketball teams when they were younger. You know, they were only 13, 14. I, I, in fact, coached my, when I was 13, I coached an under eight boys basketball because I wanted to do something mm. and, you know, differently. And, and it was, I gained so much more responsibility and, and I connected with the parents and the kids used to look up to me, which is a great responsibility. Mm. And then, because no young person really wants to be a hypocrite. And if you're helping out, it might be volunteering in your local church, you know, might be in the children's ministry or the, mm. or the, the car park or the sound, all those type of things, really good opportunities to, to give of yourself for others to benefit. Well, Bruno, I think that brings us to a close for today. But um, on behalf behalf of Youth and Loud, thanks heaps for coming on the show. Um, we feel very privileged and very uh, blessed to, to be able to speak with you. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for coming in. You are more than welcome. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. That brings us to an end of this episode of Youth and Loud. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Youth and Loud.